Det här är ett poddradioprogram från Radio AF. Someone will remember us, I say, even in another time. Hi and welcome to Someone Will Remember Us. In this episode, we're going to talk about the Hijra community in Asia. It has a lot of different names as well, but I will use the word Hijra throughout this episode since that's the word most of my sources use. Colonial sources have historically used the word Enoch, and that is a word still being used in India today. However, the term Enoch is somewhat misleading and offensive, and I won't use it unless I'm referring to someone else talking. I will also primarily talk about the Indian Hijra community, and this will be a summary more than anything. I've only really talked about specific individuals before on this podcast, so... This will be a little bit different since I'm trying to cover the whole history of a group of people that have existed for thousands of years. Many names are there for me. I belong to the oldest ethnic transgender community, which is known as the Hijdas or as the Kinners. So they said, like, but when did you come out? I said, I came out only once from my mother's womb, and next time I didn't have to come out from anywhere. And that's. Then people asked me, when did you realize? I said, excuse me, I didn't realize anything. I was as normal as what I was. But it was the world who thought I was different. So the problem is with the world, not with me. I enjoy my womanhood. And how much women have the guts to enjoy it? In the last episode, we talked about Dr. Alan L. Hurt. And I call him one of the very first people to go through gender-affirming procedures. I talked about how modern and surprising it was that he actually was able to remove his uterus after a consultation with his doctor. I talked about how this was really spectacular because it was so long ago um, and the concept of being trans was so many decades away. This is, of course, a truth with modification. Um, I'm a little ashamed, actually, that I didn't push in some sort of disclaimer in the episode. When do we consider the history of trans people to have begun? Does it begin in the 20th century? Does it begin when the term transsexualism was coined? As our ideas about gender have been very fluid throughout history, believe it or not, and in different parts of the world... We might not confidently say that one particular historical person or group is trans. Being trans means that you somehow fall outside society's idea of what gender is. You might identify with a non-binary gender, with a binary gender that isn't the one society sees you as. Either way, you are at odds with society. However, if the society you live in actually does recognize your gender, unlike a structural level, you aren't technically trans. 
a few months ago, we talked about Mwanga II, who probably would consider himself straight, since he only slept with people belonging to one of the three female genders, while many today would call him gay or bisexual, since some of the female people he slept with had certain genitals that didn't fit what we today call femaleness. You can't see me since this is a podcast, but I'm doing air quotes around femaleness because obviously that term is just as anachronistic as the word trans or the word gay when talking about Munga the Second. I've also talked about Christina the First, who didn't think of themselves as a woman and who contemporaries didn't consider a woman. Were they trans? Back then, the ideas about femaleness and maleness were much more of a scale than a binary opposition. Even though women and men were the only two genders recognized, people were a lot less opposed to the idea of people falling somewhere between those two genders. And it was uncommon, but not unacceptable, that someone with so-called female body could be the leader of a country, having some sort of male role in society and therefore acting and dressing like a man. Anyway, what I want to say with these two examples is that it's tricky to talk about the history of trans people. Who is trans? When I say that Dr. Alan L. Hart was one of the first trans people to go through gender-affirming procedures, I'm excluding all the people in history who seem trans when we look at them today, but I don't feel confident calling trans because the word trans is anachronistic and simply misleading. However, there's a very striking exception to this reasoning. Hijra has been a rather stable term in South Asia throughout history for people who are not seen as men nor women. This includes both intersex people and people who don't identify with the gender they were assigned at birth. It is still used today, and Hijra people, as well as South Asian countries at large, recognize Hijra people as trans, or trans people as Hijra, depending on who you're asking. Today, Hijra and trans are almost interchangeable terms. I'll come back with a longer discussion about the relationship between trans and Hijra later. But my point is that since Hijra people today call themselves trans whilst living largely in the same way as their predecessors did, I think it's fair to also call historical Hijra people trans. And while Dr. Alan L. Hart was one of the very first white trans men in the modern country of the United States who underwent gender-affirming procedures that remind us of how gender-affirming procedures are done today in the Western world, He's definitely not the first to go through alterations to his body to make it look more like a body associated with the gender he belonged to. That was a very long sentence. (laughs) Anyway, Hijra people have long practiced gentle removal. And of course, you can raise the question about how safe these removals were and if they were always carried out with the consent of the person in question. But by definition, the removals are examples of gender-affirming procedures that precede Dr. Alan L. Hart with literally centuries. What is quite extraordinary about the Hijra people is that they have a very long heritage. The first known documentation of Hijra people is from the 17th century, but it probably dates back further than that. Their position in society and their practices have changed over time, but ultimately the concept of Hijra is based in a religion, either Hinduism or Islam. Hindu Hijra communities worship the mother goddess Bahukara Mata. And I just want to put a disclaimer here that my pronunciations of words in Hindi 
is really, really bad. I'm sorry. Bokara Mata was attacked by a man called Papia when she was traveling and to somehow resolve the conflict, she cut off her breasts and shed her femininity while she made her attacker impotent and he shed his masculinity. There are other mentions of hijras in religious texts. Many gods will have both female and male reincarnations. There are really too many examples to list them all. But one notable example is when Krishna reincarnated as a woman in order to marry a man who had never experienced love. And in celebration of this, Hijras organize festivities every year where they symbolically marry men. Hijras are themselves thought of as somewhat sacred. Some would even call them demigods. The Hijras are considered to be an incarnation, another form of Lord Krishna. Lord Shiva and Lord Shakti. So every new thing that happens, a transgender is there. They combine their religious practices with kinship-based social organization. They have traditionally lived in communities consisting of a guru who's guiding a group of disciples or kilas through some form of physical and or spiritual transition. They made, historically, their living through dancing at weddings they were seen as fertility symbols and their presence would ensure that the married couple would have kids. They would also bless newborn children. They could be employed as guardians of the quote-unquote virtue in harems. Others were landowners and could have quite high status. A lot of rituals surrounded initiation into the Hidra community. Many of those were secret some hijras underwent castration and penectomy, which would be linked to higher status within the hijra community. They also have somewhat of their own language. It's based on Hindi, but has like certain words and certain phrases that are unique for the hijra community. Then came the British and colonized India. Spoiler alert, it doesn't go well. Traditionally, there wasn't this kind of marginalization of, of, your, of the Hijra community, but it happened because of the colonization. Of yeah, India. because the British ripped everything away. Our property, our money, our land, our houses, everything was taken away. And then the Hijras were only left to beg or sell their body and, or to do the traditional blessing work. Hijra people lost many of their rights. They had their right to own land, the right to inherit, and therefore they were forced into sex work and begging. In 1871, Hijra people and people who enjoyed cross-dressing but weren't necessarily Hijra were criminalized under the Criminal Tribes Act. Same-sex relations were also criminalized. The British loved to talk about Hijra people. They loved to talk about their bodies and they were both fascinated and scared of them. They would speculate about their different rituals and their castrations and they very much went from being seen as divine to being seen as deviant. So at the same time as the British are very much oppressing and othering the Hijra community, putting all kinds of laws in place, they're also really fascinated by them. And this is the thing, fascination and oppression often go hand in hand, even today. Because of the prevalent removal of genitals, the term hijra has often been translated with the word eunuch in English. 
many hijra people today think it's a quite offensive word and it is misleading since eunuch is a word that both excludes a lot of people who are hijra and includes a lot of people who aren't. On one hand, the word was in colonial times used for basically every person assigned male at birth who removed their genitals regardless of why they removed their genitals, their gender identity or even the culture the person belonged to. It was used in an offensive way and often like an example of how weird and uncivilized people in the colonies were compared to the British or the French. On the other hand, not all Hijar people are included in the word eunuch, since they have in fact not had any gender-affirming procedures done. However, eunuch is a term still being used in India as a legal term. Troublingly enough, I did find several articles by, for instance, BBC, CNN, The Guardian, which referred to hijras as eunuchs. Some articles did the thing where they wrote third gender but put third within quotation marks as if they were slightly sarcastic because surely they can't be such a thing as more than two genders, while using the word eunuch without quotation marks because I suppose they felt that it was the more correct word. Wikipedia states that the hijra community consists of trans people, intersex people and eunuchs. So... We're definitely a little stuck still in colonial ideas about gender, but hey, what else is new? While the British liked to use the word eunuch, they did also recognize the word hijra, but they would often say that hijra was simply the Hindi translation of eunuch, and would use the word hijra interchangeably with eunuch. They did often make a difference between so-called natural eunuchs, i.e. intersex people and or people assigned male at birth who were impotent, and artificial eunuchs, i.e. people who had been castrated. Again, they were morbidly interested in bodies that didn't confirm to their convictions about gender and sex. But even though they made this distinction, they weren't great on other distinctions. They did know that there were a bunch of words used in different regions and languages to signify different gender identities, gender expressions, physical characteristics and sexualities. But they didn't really understand the need for so many different words. They didn't understand that gender is a social construct and therefore can be constructed in many different ways. They only understood the gender binary consisting of men and women and they understood it as God-given. Therefore, they clumped all people who weren't men or women in their eyes into one group, one third gender. They largely summed all these different variants under the word hijra or eunuch. So, in a sense, even though the hijra concept dates far back, it was kind of consolidated during colonial times. Suddenly, all these different gender identities were made into one homogenous community, which it has never been and isn't today. So, look, I suppose it's positive in some sense that the hijra community was consolidated and in that way it has survived to modern times and has been a lot stronger as community. But just imagine the wealth of genders in pre-colonial times that were misunderstood and erased from history. There's no one way of constructing gender that's better than any other. Of course, a gender system consisting of five genders might be just as oppressive as a system consisting of two genders. But it's still so sad that the colonial West always tries to hide everything that doesn't conform to our preconceived ideas of how the world is supposed to work. 
after the British left India, they left behind a lot of negative sentiment about hijras. They also left behind a law prohibiting same-sex relations, which is still being used. If it's something that really bugs me, it's how former colonizers complain about how homophobic a certain country is when in fact they were the ones who brought homophobia. I feel like this is becoming somewhat of a running theme throughout this podcast. Today, in India, there's probably somewhere between half a million and two million people who are hijra, but there are probably a lot more. In trying to define the hijra community, people have often, today, focused on the intersection between social and religious practices. A hijra person would be defined as someone who lives in an all-hijra household together with a guru and a few disciples, and someone who practices certain religious practices. I feel very happy because I've undergone so many pain in my life to become like this. When we are with a community, I feel at home. Some would say that the Hitcher community could be divided into seven houses and then every single household would belong to one of the houses. The households have their own territory and within that territory they're allowed to work, to dance or to beg but not outside that territory. However, this can be a very limiting definition of the hijra community. It looks today like the term hijra is expanding to include more people. There's still a lot of debate going on about whether you have to be castrated of a hijra, whether you have to live in an all hijra household, whether you have to go through specific hijra initiation rituals. I'm not going to give you any definite answer on who is and who isn't hijra, I don't feel that is my place. However, I'll bring up a few issues or questions being discussed within and outside the hijra community at this point in history. The first issue is the distinction between the word trans and the word hijra. Some people regard hijra as an umbrella term covering trans people, intersex people and people who in some other way fall outside the ideas of a gender binary. Others see hijra as a part of the trans community, saying that hijra is one specific non-binary identity for people who were assigned male at birth, among all the other identities that fall under the trans umbrella. So basically my sources either say that hijra people are trans or that trans people are hijra. Either way, it's clear that trans and hijra are two words that are very closely connected. The words are completely interchangeable though, and the discussion about how to define the relationship between trans and hijra is very much alive. The second issue I want to bring up is related to this distinction between trans and hijra. How are people who are trans but not hijra treated? Same-sex relations are still legal in India, while hijra people are given certain legal rights. They still face a lot of persecution, partially because of the law that prohibits same-sex relations, but legally they are recognised as what is called a socially and economically backward class and therefore they are entitled to certain legal rights. Trans people who are assigned female at birth and trans people assigned male at birth who either do not identify as hijra or is for other reasons not included in the hijra community have very little agency though. While the hijra community is finding its voice and speaking up for their rights though they still face a lot of resistance People who are trans but not hijra don't even have a voice to speak with. 
Thirdly, Hijra people still largely practice old traditions. And one question being asked is if you can be a part of the Hijra community without following the old traditions. Can you be Hijra without the dancing and the brightly colored fabrics? Can you be Hijra without living in an all-Hijra community led by a Hijra guru? The public in India largely associates the Hijra community with sex work and begging, since people who are assigned male at birth and engage in sex work and begging while dressing in saris are really visible in big cities. However, many Hijras living in traditional ways don't consider these people authentic Hijras because they have not gone through initiation rituals and don't practice celibacy, which is part of the traditional hijra lifestyle. These more traditional hijras think of them as in fact tarnishing the concept of hijra since they're so much more visible in public and reinforce stereotypes about hijras. A lot of the sources I consulted stated that the majority of the hijra community makes a living through sex work and begging and that HIV is really prevalent within the hijra community. That is because people who do not practice the religious traditional hijra lifestyle are included in the statistics and many would argue that this is wrong and that the statistics are therefore misleading. Others would argue that they should in fact be included in the hijra community. Finally, a fourth question is again a legal one. Nowadays, you can put an E in your passport instead of F or M. The E would signal eunuch. This can be seen as a progress and as a way of legally recognizing Hijra people. And that is great. And there's been a lot of Hijra people working very hard for this change. However, it comes with a lot of problems. As we talked about earlier, eunuch is a word that is very much colonial and seen as offensive. The most troubling aspect of this whole issue, though, is that people with an E in their passport can't vote or marry. This has been a problem for Hijra people historically as well, that they are barred from voting, marrying or going to school. As I understand, you can do these things as a Hijra today, but only if you don't have an E in your papers. So... It has kind of brought a lot of problems as well as resolved some problems. I could probably have talked about this for three more hours, but this was a short summary. And if you want to learn more, there's an excellent essay by a person called Aniruda Dutta called Epistemologies of Collusion. It discusses the concept of hijra, how the term has been defined historically and how it's defined today. I assume that Dusha is a trans person themselves, but I'm not sure. Either way, the article is insightful and respectful and I have a bit of an academic crush on Dusha and I hope I haven't misunderstood their work. If you want to learn more about what it's like being a hijra person in today's India, you can look up Lakshmi Narayan Tripathi. She's written a book about her experiences and she's also made a few interviews and TED Talks that are really great. She's very funny and very informative. And almost all the clips in this episode and almost all the sound bits in this episode are from interviews with her or her speeches. I've also used some sound from a video called India's Transgender Community, The Hijra by Refinery29. Thanks for listening. I'll see you again in a few weeks. And someone will remember us even another time. Du har lyssnat på ett poddradioprogram från Radio AF. 
Hitta alla våra program på radioaf.se.